1: Harlan Gay, Scott Rafferty, L-I-V-E Live. This is NBA Sound System across the globe, in Canada, in Australia, in India, on NBA.com. Scott, it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke, and that was our off season, my friend. We're now back into it. We're going full tilt all the way till we crown a 2021 NBA champion. How you feeling? Ooh,
0: the uh, the last few weeks have have been crazy. It really did feel like that uh, that American Thanksgiving was was our off season. That four or five days where, thankfully, we could uh, unplug a little bit. Nothing crazy happened. But you know, training camp opens today. Preseason is around the corner, and then the regular season is around the corner. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed those uh, four or five
1: days off because I, I sure made the most out of it. Normally, when you say around the corner in sports speak, that's like a mm-hmm. you know a couple weeks away. We're three weeks away from the start of the regular season, even less than that, to see basketball back on the floor in arenas. Of course, we won't have any fans, but that is 2020 as we know it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting some basketball back. I, I know we just saw it in you know a month and a half ago, but I, I am looking forward to seeing guys get back on the floor. And a lot of teams, especially for the eight teams that didn't even participate in the bubble, I'm specifically looking forward to seeing them play basketball. And I'm going to get your thoughts on what you're most looking forward to a little later on in the program. We'll also talk about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They're teaming up in Brooklyn and they're healthy. How will they look in the Eastern Conference? Did the Clippers get better or worse this season? I'll get Scott's thoughts on that. But first, we have to talk draft. We have to talk free agency. We'll first start with the NBA draft. Um, The Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick, goes to Minnesota. James Wiseman ends up with the Golden State Warriors. And then LaMelo Ball ends up in Charlotte with the Hornets. Were there any surprises for you on draft night? There, there weren't any big surprises.
0: Um, you know, I, I think one, two, three kind of went as we expected. Um, I know there was some talk about LaMelo Ball possibly going to number one. That ended up not happening. And honestly, Anthony Edwards made so much sense from the Timberwolves from a get go just because of his fit alongside D'Angelo Russell. Um, and Carl Anthony Towns and then James Wiseman going to to the Warriors, you know, then someone at center. Um so I think one, two, three made a lot of sense. There there were some things that happened later on in the draft. Um you know, I, I don't claim to be a big draft expert. So for me, there wasn't anything that that really uh really stood out for me. It, it, it was kind of um it was kind of normal, which was which was nice because uh free agency was was wild after that. So free agency um, was
1: Definitely, well, definitely, well. Did, did were you are you excited to to see any of these rookies kind of play out? I I won't ask you who won the draft because as you said, you're not an expert, and neither am I. So we won't pretend to be. But there are some rookies that I'm excited to see hit the floor. For one, for me, I am so excited to see James Wiseman. We only saw him in three college games in his uh, in his collegiate career, and he's going to, in my opinion, a perfect situation for him to thrive. And actually. Get some time to really develop into a specific role uh, in, in Golden State. And uh, you know with the talent around him, uh, it's already there. Unfortunately, we won't have you know Clay Thompson on the floor to watch uh, him blossom around him, uh, him being James Wiseman. But uh, they still have Steph Curry, still have uh, Draymond Green, they have Andrew Wiggins. They, they made some moves in, in free agency and should be a playoff team. So for me, I'm excited to see James Wiseman on the floor in Golden State. What about you?
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think um, the, the interesting thing about Wiseman and really everyone for this draft, but specifically Wiseman, is that we've only seen him play three games in college. So he's going from playing three games in college to not having a summer league, um, not having those that month or two to kind of get used to the NBA game before his rookie season starts. And he's just going to get thrown into the fire on a Warriors team where they, they need him to contribute because... Time will tell if he starts. I think he will start at centre, but if something goes wrong with him, like he, he can't play, um, that you're looking at Kevon Looney as his backup, who's had you know a lot of injuries in his past, um, and then Marquis Chris, who, who had a decent season last year with the Warriors, but if he's starting centre on a Warriors team that's hoping to make the playoffs this season, even without Klay Thompson... Um, I, I think that's a little worrying. So I, I'm fascinated to see how quickly Wiseman can adjust to the uh, the game because they're going to really need him to be good from day one, especially in this shortened season, 72 game season, because the West is just going to be so competitive. Um, so, so I think that's a good one. Look, a couple of weeks ago when we did this, you and I talked about LaMelo Ball for like 10 minutes and you made it pretty clear <laughs> your feelings on LaMelo Ball. But I got to say, I think when it does come to like winners of the draft, I think the, the Hornets were, if they weren't, you know, the clear winner, they were, they were definitely up there because this is a Hornets team that has had not had very much luck in draft history. Like you go back to 2012, the Bobcats had the worst record in the NBA. They were seven and fifty nine. The next worst record was 20-46 and 46 by the Wizards, so that's a 13 game difference, which is, which is absolutely nuts. Um, they don't get the number one pick, they get the number two pick. They get Michael Kidd Gilchrist and they miss out on Anthony Davis with the number one pick. Next season, they get the number four pick and they pick Cody Zeller. Cody Zeller is a fine NBA player, but that wasn't that great of a draft, so they get another high pick in a draft where there's not a ton of, there's not like a clear superstar talent. Remember that's, that's the one where Anthony De- uh, Bennett went number one. Um, and obviously if the Hornets had that pick again, they'd love to go back and change it, but that wasn't a great draft. And then in 2015, they have the number nine pick, and they get Frank Kaminsky. So they just have a history of when they do have high draft picks, they just don't really get the player that they want, and I think this is the first time in a long time where they really got LaMelo Ball, the guy that they wanted, to the point where if they had the number one pick, I think they probably would have just taken him um, there instead of Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman. Um, You know, hate him as much as you want. I know you're not as high on him as other people are, but everyone who who's watched him who knows him that i respect says that he has the potential to be kind of this all-star potentially superstar guy someone a team can legitimately build around um so for me i think they're clear winners and even if you don't like him and you're not even high on him he plays an exciting brand of basketball um and it's going to be fascinating to see kind of how his nba career starts and how quickly he can get adjusted to the nba
1: um and kind of how far he can take this hornets team from day one I, i definitely expect him to have a ton of ups and downs in his uh, first season in in the NBA, without question, um, you know the Hornets. They, they, in my opinion, actually did a, a pretty good job of of, uh, of of getting guys to fill in. Not just Lamella Ball. Lamella Ball is obviously the, uh, the the prize possession of the twenty twenty draft class. But I, I think getting Vernon Carey, uh, you know, a, a guy who played locally at Duke University, uh, late uh, in in the second or second round. Um, that's a good pick. Nick Richards is a guy that fills a role. And then they have two two-way guys. Grant Riller is a guy that uh, our Eric Fawcett over on NBA.com draft expert wrote about him and said that a lot of teams should look at him as a potential uh, undrafted signee, a guy that can shoot the ball, play the point guard position, and defend sort of, of the mole of a Fred Van Vliet. I'll leave that at that. Say what you want about that. And then Nate Darling, a Canadian, fellow Canadian to me, uh, who can flat-out shoot. So they had... They added two guys who can flat-out shoot who might make the team but also uh, will likely be down in Greensboro with the Storm uh, in whenever the G League starts back up. By the way, bold move by Nate Darling. Uh, he, he can shoot, but he picked jersey number 30, of course, worn by Stephen Curry's dad, Del Curry, who is now the broadcaster in uh, in Charlotte. So, I'm, first of all, I'm surprised that that jersey not retired. And, and secondly, bold move by uh, Nate Darling.
0: You gotta <laughs> yeah, got to respect it. Yeah,
1: definitely got to By the way, <laughs> speaking of bold moves, uh, LaMelo, num- jersey number two, I know it, it's the ball family thing. But again, Grandma Johnson wore jersey number two in Charlotte. And I'm surprised that jersey is not retired and is ready available for uh, for someone to wear in uh, this day and age. If I'm just glad to eat- I'm just go glad ahead. that you're on this podcast because uh, if you,
0: I, I was hoping you weren't going to be like Lamella Ball has the number two jersey. Do you know who that is, Scott? Because I would not <laughs> have been able to answer that question, and the same thing with Del Curry. So I'm glad you're here for that.
1: Oh man, we we gotta run you back down the uh, memory lane and make sure that you match faces with uh, with jersey numbers. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to Sound System FC. Right now, you—that and that is your complete home for Liga MX, who is knee-deep right now in the playoffs. You want to talk about exciting football? Liga MX has it going on. Uh, Lawrence and Bo will run you through everything around the league. And uh, if you haven't already, again, subscribe to Sound System FC. They're doing a great job of running you through Liga MX. The draft happened, and then you sneezed. And then it was free agency. (laughs) Free agency happened two days after the NBA draft. Um, It was a truncated offseason. So free agency felt like uh, madness. It really did. It felt like madness. The Hornets end up with Gordon Hayward. They added to him, you know, paid him a ton of money to come over to Charlotte. Um, Fred Van Vliet stays in Toronto, got a ton of money to do that. Was there a big move that you felt kind of change the direction for a singular team in the NBA?
0: That's a good question. Um, I I think there were several notable signings. Um, Obviously, Fred Van Vliet didn't leave. Um, Anthony Davis, even though he hasn't signed a contract yet, we can assume that he's going to re-sign with the Lakers. Um, And then obviously, Brandon Ingram's re-upped with the Pelicans. I, I think for me, a couple of the signings that I really liked, one was the Suns getting Jay Crowder. Um, I I think they're one of the winners of free agency, especially if you want to loop in the the, the Chris Paul trade, Uh, just because this is a team that, you know, they went 8-0 in the bubble. They kind of showed this potential to be a team that's going to take the next step. And rather than kind of just going with the flow, they've they've made big moves this offseason. But I also think it's it's moves that make sense for them. Um, Chris Paul is coming off a fantastic season with the Thunder. I think he's going to make a big difference there, even though he doesn't fit the same development timeline as Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And to be able to slide a guy at the four in Jay Crowder, who is—he—he's not the best three-point shooter, um, but he's a volume three-point shooter. A guy teams have to respect just because he's going to fire him up um, if he's open, no matter what. And and a guy who can defend multiple positions and brings a toughness to a young team. Um, I really like that pickup for them. Um, I, I'm fascinated by this this Suns team in general because they've made it pretty clear that they're gunning for the playoffs this season. Um, and another team that I think you have to mention in free agency as one of the big winners is the Blazers. Um, I, I'm still not as high on them as I think you are um, and a couple other people on our staff are, but there's no denying that they've improved their team from last season by getting guys like Robert Covington, um, filling out their wing depth, getting more uh, more defensive-minded players to surround with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um, and, you know, this is a team that could legitimately be I think a four seed, a five seed in the West next season, um, which is saying something when you're considering the top two seeds, the Lakers and the Clippers. I think those are pretty safe bets, um, and then a team in the Nuggets potentially that made it to the conference finals last year. So um, the the Blazers are definitely some of the one of the biggest winners in free agency.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know how I feel about the Blazers, but I'm going to tell the people that right now I'm a big Blazer supporter, uh, not just because of the way that they played in the bubble, but because they are going to be healthy this season. Uh, The move of obviously getting Robert Covington, that didn't happen in free agency, but it happened in the offseason, was huge to me. They were not going to get a draft pick that's going to be able to contribute this season the way that Covington can and and beyond uh, in the immediate future. And then Derek Jones Jr., I think, is an underrated side. Signing. Um you mentioned the, the value that Jay Crowder has to the Phoenix Suns, the toughness and the ability to guard multiple positions. Derrick Jones Jr. was an underrated defender on a very good Miami Heat team. Eric Spolster trusted him to, to to come into games and, and try to neutralize certain players when they got hot at multiple positions. And he's he's gonna end up in you know in Portland with that role in mind, but he's he's gonna be kind of I, I assume Uh, you know, with more minutes uh, at his availability, he's not going to have to worry about Andre Iguodala stealing some of those that thunder, or or Jay Crowder for for stealing that thunder, or even Jimmy Butler at times stealing that thunder. Because I don't think that Portland has that go-to defender, or didn't have it last year. They do now. They have Covington and they have uh, Derrick Jones Jr. So that they address. The biggest issue, in my opinion, that they had last season was the fact that they couldn't guard anybody. And now they have two guys that can guard and and, and lock down. And then also, they'll be healthy. They, the fifth man game's most—fifth most man game's lost to injury a season ago. They'll be healthy. I think they'll be better in a top-four team in the Western Conference. And then you mentioned Phoenix. And Phoenix is in a group of teams, to me, that are making it clear to the rest of the NBA— they're not messing around. It's playoffs or bust for them. Um, when, when you look at the, the moves that they did this offseason, um, I, I think you could put, well, we know that the Warriors should be in the playoffs. If they're he- if they're healthy, their key guys are healthy, they should be in the playoffs. But when you look at the Atlanta Hawks who missed the playoffs a season ago, uh, the, the Bulls, the Wizards, the, the Hornets who missed a, se- uh, a playoffs a season ago. They made moves to me to make the playoffs this year. No longer building for the future, but moves to make the playoffs this year. And I'm going to be interested to see how those play out when we get the ball rolling.
0: And the thing for the Suns for me is they didn't just completely um, forget about their future either. Like, I I think... If they did miss the playoffs this year, it would be a huge blow to them because they, they very clearly made moves to make the playoffs, but they didn't completely sacrifice their future. Like they're going to still have Devin Booker. They're still going to have DeAndre Ayton. They're going to still have Bridges, who is one of the best up and coming defenders, perimeter defenders in the league. Um, so I, I really liked all the moves they made from top to bottom. But the, the team for me that I think has had my favorite offseason uh, or free agency is the Lakers, because... Look, they won the championship last year, and it is really hard for a team to win a championship and make the moves that they have because, quite frankly, a lot of teams just run it back. Um, and I know that they, they probably did want to do that with guys like Rajon Rondo who went to the Hawks. I think ideally they probably would have brought him back. But to lose some of those players and replace them with a Dennis Schroeder, who I think is going to help them a ton in the regular season, Montrez Harrell, his fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis isn't the cleanest, but I think... Given the short turnaround from the finals to this regular season, and when you add LeBron's age and the workload that he had this season, uh, last season, and the same thing with Anthony Davis, the workload that he had, adding two guys in Schroeder and Harrell who were younger, um, kind of in the prime of their career, they should be able to kind of carry the Lakers through the regular season a little bit and take some of the pressure off of LeBron and AD to keep them fresh for the playoffs. And I think that's huge. And last but not least... Mark Gasol is a massive pickup for them because if you whatever questions you do have about Montrez Harrell, Gasol basically covers those weaknesses. Um, whenever they play against a, a center, a post-up center, whether it's Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid in the playoffs, Gasol's minutes are just going to spike. And he might not be a player who's capable of playing 20-25 minutes a game in the regular season anymore. We saw him battle injuries the last couple seasons. When it comes playoff time, to be able to put that guy next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James is such a luxury because he's never a guy you have to worry about. He's always going to make the right decisions. He's a super smart player. Um, so with, with those three players and also Wesley Matthews, by the way, I think whether you, you can make the argument if you want that Danny Green is a better player than Wesley Matthews. And I, I won't argue with that. But there is such a marginal difference if you if you think that um, on both ends of the court. Wesley Matthews is a fantastic perimeter defender still. He's a guy who can space the floor as a three-point shooter. So to get him on, I think it was a minimum contract compared to, what, the $15 million that the Lakers would have paid Danny Green this season? Um, that's another huge pickup for them. So just those four moves, I, I just love what the Lakers have done, especially after winning the championship.
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly on on the Lakers and, and what they did this offseason. And then what you also get um, when you win a championship is that championship kind of confidence and that championship bump that we saw the Raptors have uh, two seasons ago. Where, you know, guys that played in the finals that played really well and, and have now that sort of championship swagger of we can win and beat and compete with anybody. They take a step up, and that's Alex Caruso. That's Contavius Caldwell Pope. That's uh you know, maybe Kyle Kuzma. Those type of players that are already on the on the roster. Mark Markeith Morris, another guy. Those type of players that are already on the roster now have a confidence in their game that we've won at the highest level, and you have to knock us off the top of the mountain. So you're right. I, I think the moves that they made is going to help them throughout the regular season. I don't know that this team is really worried about getting the number one seed. I feel like they can go on the road and beat any team uh, in a best of seven. They don't necessarily need home court advantage, especially if fans aren't going to be allowed in the building. So they they can end up, you know, the, the third seed, fourth seed. It won't matter to them. What's going to matter to them is whether or not LeBron James and Anthony Davis are fresh for the playoff run. And uh, the moves that they made should ensure that. And also. Uh, the moves that they made, people don't really talk about this often because it's it's not a it's not a, a stat that you can really quantify. But you get Montrezl Harrell, you get Dennis Schroeder, uh, and you get Mark Gasol, who's you know at the tail end of his career. Wesley Matthews as well. Those four guys are going to inject a different sort of intensity in trying to win another title. For Marcus' case, and for those other three guys, their first championship. Uh, that hunger that you know, some maybe you know, Rajon Rondo, who's won a, a bit in his career, might not have. Dennis Schroeder has that for sure. He wants to solidify himself as an NBA, you know, uh, NBA champion. Same goes for Wesley Matthews. Danny Green's won a couple of times now. Uh, maybe he doesn't have the same hunger that a Wesley Matthews has to, to, to die for that loose ball in the middle of a game three. So th- you you add a little bit of that, and we know what Montrezl Harrell's about, right? He, he He's a guy who thought he had a, a championship team last year with the Clippers, knows that it could go left at any moment, and now he's in a situation where if they mess up, it's not going to be because the team messed up. It's The, the spotlight's going to be on a Montrez Harrell because they won last year without you, and you show up, you might be the only reason why they don't win this year if you're not bringing it. So, those three, th- I think those things matter. I think when you you know inject uh, you know new school players into a championship team or, or a championship defending team, players that want to win a championship, that are hungry to win a championship, it reinvigorates the rest of the team. And and I think the great GMs find a way to do that. And uh, Rob Palenka has done that with this Los Angeles Lakers squad.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, um, and its I know it didn't work out for them, but that's something you heard the Warriors talk about when they signed DeMarcus Cousins after they won the two championships, right. because you do, obviously this Lakes team hasn't won two in a row like they did, but getting a player who's further on in their career, wants to win a championship, um, can kind of inject that energy uh, and get you back to the, the same the same like momentum um, or urgency, I guess, is the right word, um, that you had the season before. So I, I think that's a really good point. And the other thing with Harold too, his, uh, the second year, he sent a two-year deal with the Lakers. He has the, a player option in the second year, so he could become an unrestricted free agent next offseason. So I think for him, especially after the way that he played in the bubble, um, when he really struggled on both ends of the court uh, for a variety of reasons, I think that's huge for him because he, he probably is going to play um, with a sense of urgency himself, not only because he wants to win a championship, but hey, he signed for a deal that let, that was less than many people expected him to sign this offseason. So he's going to a team where he can win a championship. If he plays really well, that could increase his value going into free agency next year um, and he could sign a bigger deal with a different team and kind of get the deal that he was hoping to get this offseason.
1: The Lakers are defending champions. They will be, you know, there's a ton of teams out there that are going to try to knock them off of that throne. One being a team that made the playoffs a season ago, but maybe adding two of the best players uh, to the top fifteen players in the league. Not through free agency, but just from injury reserve. You're talking about the Brooklyn Nets, who add Kyrie Irving, who only appeared in 20 games for them last season, and Kevin Durant, who did not play at all last season for them. Both of them coming off injuries. Kyrie Irving, we've been here before with this guy, right? Like there, there are seasons where Kyrie uh, has missed a significant amount of time. He comes back from those injuries and looks like Kyrie of old. Last season, he started the the the, uh, the campaign for the for the Nets uh, after coming back off of an injury. And his first game, he drops a fifty burger and, and looked great for the first eleven games of the year. Didn't translate into wins necessarily for the Nets. I think they were four and seven in those first eleven games, but. We saw Kyrie doing Kyrie things. Kevin Durant, we have no idea how he's going to look when he gets back on the basketball court. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying uh, that he looks just as good as he was, you know, in those pickup games. But he came out and said today in his media session that he doesn't know how his body's going to respond until he's in an NBA game. It's different; playing pickup is, is one thing, but playing in an NBA game with NBA intensity is is completely different. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But assuming both are healthy. Are the Brooklyn Nets the class of the East?
0: I mean, when you—if you're assuming they're healthy, we're we're basically talking about Kevin Durant being a top three player in the league because that's what he was before his injury. He was arguably the best player in the league, and anytime you have a player of that calibre, almost no matter who they're surrounded by, you're a championship-level team. Um, and you know, if you surround him with someone like Kyrie Irving, who you know criticise him all you want, he's a supremely talented offensive player um and it's hard to think of you know a duo in the league that can kind of match their offensive firepower this team is absolutely built to compete for a championship this season again hinging on whether or not kd can kind of return from this injury which by the way is is probably what the most devastating injury a basketball player can suffer um a ruptured achilles we've seen that that injury um end a lot of careers or, or slow a lot of careers down just because it does rob you of so much quickness and athleticism um But I think, you know, there is some hope with Kevin Durant kind of coming off this injury. One, I think his game will translate pretty well because he's, what, seven feet tall. He can shoot over anyone. Um, He can handle the ball. He can post up. He can shoot threes. He can play off ball. He can run off of screens. There's very few things that he can't do on a basketball court. But I also think there was this thing on Reddit that was posted like a year ago that was talking about how Kevin Durant tore his, ruptured his right Achilles and how that might actually, he might be able to recover better from that because it's not his his dominant leg. Because if you're a right-handed player, you use your left leg or your left foot to kind of push off more and explode, whether you're going up for layups, dunks, or your quick first step. So I think, and if you look at that as other players who've kind of suffered this injury and, and struggled to come back from it, it is usually the their left Achilles if they're right-handed players that they've come back from. Um, so I think there's a number of factors at play that could, you know, Kevin Durant could kind of return and be, if not a 100% player that he was before, maybe 90%, 95%. And if that's the case, you're still talking about a top five, top 10 player in the league. Um, beyond that, though, I, I am fascinated to see kind of how this team fits out around them. Because one benefit of having a Karis LeVert and a Spencer Dinwiddie is that if Kyrie Irving does miss time with injuries, you have a starting caliber guard you can kind of replace him with. And obviously, they're not... As talented as Kevin as Kyrie Irving is, but if you put them next to Kevin Durant, maybe you don't lose a ton in the regular season, you can kind of get by. But I do wonder how well those guys are going to fit next to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Um, like, for example, Karis LeVert, he made 31.6% of his catch and shoot threes last season. The season before that, it was 27.3%. He shot 36.9% on catch and shoot threes in his sophomore season, but that was kind of like the one season that he shot really well. Um, and obviously, there's more to to his game than that. But if you're looking at guys to kind of pair with two ball-dominant players in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you have to be able to do those things. So I wonder if it's, you know, if we get 30 games into the season and then, you know, things aren't going quite as well. Maybe there's chatter about one of those guys wanting a trade or something like that. Um, and to add all that, you have a brand new coaching staff, a guy in Steve Nash who's never coached, uh, been a head coach in the NBA. Obviously, he's got a pretty star-studded um, staff around him, and, and Mike D'Antonio is an assistant coach, but um, there's just so many moving pieces with this team, and you just you add it all together. And I, I think whether or not they are the best team or the team to be in the, the East this season, I think going into the, into the season, they are the most interesting team to, to kind of watch um, to see if they can put it all together.
1: Yeah. First on the on the injury front, uh, if you're if you're wanting a light at the end of the tunnel, if you're a Kevin Durant fan or a Brooklyn Nets fan for that matter, you need not look further than uh, Dominique Wilkins, who also tore his Achilles at actually at age 32, uh, and came back the next two seasons and was an All Star. Uh, averaging 29 points per game the following year, right after the Achilles tear. And after that, uh, 26 points per game. And he got traded in the middle of that season uh, to the Clippers. And he was in his mid thirties by the time that, or close to his mid thirties by the time that happened. And he was a guy that was quote unquote, you know, reliant on his explosiveness and his athletic ability and came back just fine uh, and, and played really well to close out his NBA career. So, if you're a Durant fan who, you know, his game is not as reliant on the explosive ability as they said Dominic Wilkins' game was at the time. Durant's a better shooter than Dominique is, can rely a bit on his perimeter game. Um, but that that is some light on the, on the other tunnel, to use that example, rather than some of the other ones where, you know, guys have fallen off a, a cliff uh, after this injury. So... That is one thing. The other thing is, you know, Kevin Durant and and Kyrie Irving wanted to play together. So to to assume that maybe 30 games in, they're going to get frustrated. That might come. That may happen. But I don't see them giving up. I, I, I see them understanding that this is going to be a process for them. And the expectations are going to be big. They're playing in New York, so the media is going to be all over them if there is any sort of slippage. Plus, Steve Nash is is a is a, a celebrity coach, so to speak. And even though he's a first time coach, he's going to bring in a lot of attention just because he's a two time MVP in this league, and he has a, a an all star coaching staff. So they're going to be expected to figure it out and figure it out quickly. So I can definitely see the the, the uh, you know the, the rumors of maybe rumblings in the locker room of people being disgruntled if they come out the gate and there are five. team through the first 20-25 games totally can see that but I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving those two guys will be able to see eye to eye and figure it out Where I think we might have an issue is them alienating themselves from the rest of the team and the quote unquote role players because those two guys are going to figure out how to play with each other. This Brooklyn team, this Brooklyn team is not going to win anything if the role players don't figure out how to play within the system that Katie and Kyrie are going to create in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, I was more concerned about guys like Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie, um, and maybe even Jared Allen, to be honest, because. If you look at last season, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie was maybe not right until All Star voting ended, but for a large portion of it, he was a he was playing as like a borderline All Star, um, and that's because he basically became their primary ball handler with Kyrie out, and then you go along to Karis LeVert who. What he had that like 50 point game against the Celtics just before the season was suspended. And then in their eight seeding games, he was their number one option on offense because Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't with the team and he made the the all bubble second team and he struggled in the first round against the Raptors. But that's basically because they just threw everything at him. This is one of the best defensive teams in the league and he was the only really scoring threat. So they just threw everything at him. Um, so it's going to be fascinating for me to see how those guys adjust because they're going to be, there's going to be times when they have the ball in their hands a lot because they're going to come off the bench when uh, KD and Kyrie are off the floor, they're going to kind of carry the offense. But at the end of game specifically, like, are they both going to be on the floor? Is one of them going to be on the floor? Are neither of them going to be on the floor? Are they going to be happy standing on the three point line? Um, and things like that. So I, there's just so many moving pieces to this, um, and that you know they're a team to watch, especially when you you factor in the whole James ha- James Harden uh, potential trade there with him asking to go to Bro- Brooklyn apparently. Um, so there's just a lot of moving pieces with them. And by the way, I will say the Dominique thing. I'm glad you brought it up. I pulled up the Reddit article that was talking about you know KD tearing his right Achilles and how a lot of other players tore the left Achilles. Dominique is one of the few guys who tore his right Achilles and all left Mm. Achilles. Um, So that just adds kind of to the optimism to Kevin Durant coming back from this injury.
1: Yeah, I'm really hoping for good health for for everybody in the league, not just uh, KD, but uh, everybody across the board. Um, And it's good you're right. And Brooklyn's going to be an interesting team to really look at and and see because there's a lot of talent there. How do they figure it out and put them all on the floor together is going to be a a question that we answer over the first two months of the NBA season. Um, Another question I want answered, Scott, is the L.A. Clippers, who, uh, you know, Kawhi's there. Paul George is there for potentially one more season. They can both opt out at the end of this season. And uh, they came to win championships multiple. And they failed in their first attempt at doing so together. And they didn't even get to the conference finals. They got bounced after being up 3-1. And, I mean, Doc Rivers is no longer there. There's a new coaching staff. Ty Lue is a new coach. They didn't make a big splash in free agency outside of Serge Abaca, but I think that actually may be enough. I, I think that Serge is enough to potentially him him replacing Montrez might be enough to get them over the top. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that because I think so I ranked like all, all the best players um who were free agents this offseason and I had Harold I think as fourth or fifth, but I had him as the best center available. Um, So if you just look at it through that lens, going from Montrez Harold to Serge Ibaka, who I think I had third, maybe, on that list um, in terms of centers, would be a huge loss for them. But I actually think Serge fits in better with what they have and what they need um, than Montrez Harold did. Just because offensively, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. He used to post up a ton. He doesn't do that anymore, or he didn't last season all with the Raptors. He's a very good shooter, um both from three-point range and mid-range so now you're surrounding Kawhi leonard and, and paul george with a with a center who's comfortable just standing on the three-point line and that opens up the paint for them more and i think more importantly defensively um Serge is, is quite a big upgrade of a montrez herald just because he's he's more accustomed to defending centers which we saw was a big problem for the clippers in uh, in that series against the nuggets in the conference finals when they they gave up that 3-1 lead just because Harrell could not defend Jokic. And by the way, very few players can, but I think Serge is just kind of better equipped for those matchups. And I think he's just... I trust him a little bit more as a, as a rim protector. Obviously, Serge Ibaka used to be the best shot blocker in the league. He's not that anymore. He's far more of an, an offensive player than a defensive player. But I just think what he can do offensively fits in a little bit more naturally um, with Kawhi and Paul George. I also think that he should be able to kind of replace... Some Not not all of it, but a lot of what um, made that Lou Williams, Montrez, Harrell pick-and-roll so potent. Um, he sh- Serge Ibaka should be able to fit in pretty well with Lou Williams, assuming that he's still on the team for the entire season and they don't flip him, which I know has, has been kind of rumored that they they might trade him. Um, and I just think defensively, he's, he's a much-needed upgrade for them in that regard. So I think between him and Zubac, um, their center rotation has improved. Um, the, the one thing that they needed this offseason and I still think they, they do need, and maybe they address that in a Lou Williams trade, is a, is a point guard who can kind of get them into their offense, keep the ball moving. Because we saw it kind of in the playoffs last year that their offense kind of, it, it, it grinded to a halt. They became a little too reliant on Kawhi and Paul George kind of making ISO plays. So getting a point guard who's going to move the ball, make some more plays... Um, I I think that would be kind of the next piece or the only missing piece that they have. But they have time to address that. So I think just through the the Serge Ibaka signing, um, it it, it was a big-time pickup for them this offseason
1: yeah i think that i think it's huge and and you, you hit the nail right on the head when you said it That it gives them a different look offensively and definitely gives them an upgrade defensively um you know montrez harrell is one of the best pick and roll scorers in the league right like he him and lou will were unstoppable in the pick and roll but now you have serge Ibaka, who gives you that uh to a lesser extent pick and roll wise but he definitely gives you a new dynamic in terms of pick and pop that montrez you know, wasn't even dreaming about taking any threes, and Serge Ibaka can definitely do that. The spacing for Kawhi Leonard, who is a uh, you know a mid range assassin, is huge. He's not, he's no longer gonna. You know, I think that Montrez and 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 Paul and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor last year was a disaster because you limited the space that Kawhi Leonard had to work with, or even Paul George when he had the ball had to work with. Because Kawhi can shoot threes, but he's not a guy that's gonna spot up and, and shoot them. And, and while Paul George uh shoots them he doesn't shoot them well enough for you to to be scared to leave him now you add Serge Ibaka on the floor and and that that adds another you know option for those two guys to go to 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 you know when they're deciding to go to their breakdown game and uh, you know you're not going to leave Serge bach wide open on the three-point line you can with montrez you can't do that with serge so that's going to help both those guys in the playoffs especially uh when when defense starts to tighten up I, I don't know if I, I totally agree with you that they need the point guard because I think that Paul George and um, you know Kawhi are going to have the ball so much in their hands anyway, but I do think that they need something else off the bench or a, another closing option outside of Lou Williams um, or a different look than Lou Williams that that could be available to them. I, I don't think Lou Williams is the catch-and-shoot guy um, that they need on the floor when they're looking to close games. Um, he's great when he's by himself and, and working with the bench unit, but I think he hurts you when he's on the floor with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and you need another catch-and-shoot guy out there, uh, and, and Lou Williams just isn't that. And that could be Lou Canard,
0: by the way, who we could haven't be. mentioned yet um, and was actually – I'm higher on Luke Kennard than you are. I know that, but I, I do think that was a sneaky good pickup for them because he is a guy who can uh, play off ball. He's probably more comfortable playing off ball than a Lou Williams is. But I also think he's much, he's much more. Yeah, he made 42.2% of his catch and shoot threes last season, um, and those made up about a third of his shot attempts. So this, he, he's he's comfortable playing off ball, but he's also much better than Landry Shamit is, who who they traded to get. Um, Luke Kennard at making plays with the ball in his hands like he, he's improved quite a lot as a pick and roll scorer over the years. So I think that's kind of the perfect guy in that regard to, you know, he, he can make some plays happen when Paul George and Kawhi are off the court and they need some more offense, but he can kind of close games next to them cuz he's a good enough shooter. I I still think they just need someone who who is going to get the ball moving, um kind of get them in their plays and things like that because that's a big thing they were missing last season. Just because as talented as Kawhi Landon and Paul George are, they're not big time playmakers for others. Um, Kawhi Leonard's improved a lot in that regard. He made huge strides as a passer last season. But I still think like the the rumors of them being interested in Rajon Rondo, for example, I'm not a huge Rajon Rondo guy, but that kind of made sense to me because you, you get a point guard who's going to get guys into their sets, get players moving, kind of settle things down when things get chaotic, which they needed last season in that series against the Nuggets. Um, so that's only a, the only really big thing that I think they are missing. But but yeah, maybe, maybe Luke Kennard is kind of that guy who can kind of bridge that gap for them.
1: Maybe, yeah. He, he well, he I, I think he's going to be on a part of that closing lineup because he can play with Serge and and and, and Kawhi and Paul George for that reason. But they still need a guard, um, you know, to do that. And Luke Kennard isn't the point guard to 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 do that. So, going to be interesting to see. Do you think they're better
0: or worse? I, I think they're better. I, I think everything just kind of makes more sense. Um, everything fits a little a little cleaner. I think if they had been able to kind of keep Jermichael Green, I think that was a sneaky big loss for them that would have put this over the edge. But I think when you look at it all from top to bottom um, and getting Ty Lue as their head coach, I, I do think they're a little bit better or, or better prepared to to not make the mistakes that they did last season in the playoffs um, to the point where they can make the conference finals and potentially the finals.
1: So I think Marcus Morris staying there, and you know I'm not the biggest Marcus Morris fan, but him staying there does help them as well because they do need a little toughness in the front court. And, uh, they paid him a lot, guard. Off. They did pay him a lot. They did pay him a lot. He, he can guard multiple positions, so that, that that's going to uh, that's going to help them. Uh, I, I'm still uh, – I don't know if it made him better or worse. I, I still need to see it play out, but I do think that they need, like I said, someone in the backcourt that is – I don't necessarily need the playmaker, but I need someone that's going to be able to stretch the floor for them because uh, I don't think that Pat Bev can do it, and I don't think Lou Will has the capability of doing that either. Uh, That's all we have for you guys this week right here on the live edition of NBA Sound System. If you haven't already, go ahead and find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. And keep it locked right here every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We go LIVE Live across the NBA global networks in Canada, Australia, and of course, India. For Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gay, reminding you 30 teams in 30 days right now on NBA.com. And of course, we will see you next week right here across the NBA Global Networks.